0: Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor VanillaSoft with your host Daryl Prale. Join us as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales, and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Hey, Daryl.
1: Another week's gone by, folks. Glad to have you back. How you doing? My name's Daryl. This is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. Of course, I know most of you they are repeat listeners, and I love the fact that you come back week after week. What's the best thing, folks, has happened to you this week? Top of mind. Think about it. What is it? Is it a family thing? Is it a work thing? Did you have a victory? Maybe the first thing, you know, I asked you for the best thing, what comes to mind is actually a challenge, a frustration you have. You ever have those, those challenges, those frustrations, and you think, oh, that sucked. I could have done that so much better. That's what life is about isn't it right we kind of have our highs and we have our lows and it's amazing how often the highs and the lows go together have you ever noticed that it's like you know if you're selling and you have a killer day you do all the calls you have a gazillion conversations everybody's answering the phone everybody's replying to email your linkedin post is getting massive traffic it's a good day and then just you know late in the day boom you get that notification that that big deal you're planning on just fell through. You lost it to the competition, to no decision, to no budget, whatever it might be. It's gone, and it just spoils it. With the highs come the lows. It is such a fact of life, and how we manage that has a dramatic impact on our success. and Managing it is kind of interesting because there's how you manage it. How does it affect you? you know, I've talked to people before. Denny Champagne, not too long ago, he mentioned Zig Ziglar, and I told a story about how Zig, uh, when I was early days of selling, I listened to a recording of his, and he made a comment about drive down the road, and that car cuts you off, and you're yelling at them, and you're cursing at them, and you're angry at them, you're driving aggressively because of them, but that car is absolutely oblivious. They've actually gone, whoom, on with their day. You've had zero impact on, on them, but they've had an impact on you. So clearly in that example, I didn't handle it well. I chose to give control to somebody else. And that's what it's all about. It's how you handle it. Now, there's also others, right? There's loved ones. There's professional colleagues. How they handle it can be very annoying and frustrating. So for example, what I just said to you, you lost that deal. Or maybe it's a no decision or it's a delayed decision. You know, maybe the rest of the company's going, oh, we were counting on that number. We were counting on that deal. to hit our quota. You know, oh, it's a strategic account. Oh, you suck. Whatever it might be. But you know inside, it's okay. I got this. I got this. I anticipated this. I got the backup plan in effect. Just chill, guys. Just relax. Leave it with me. So, but the fact is those people and their reaction put stress and anxiety on you and maybe throws you off your game, whether it's life or work. But of course, this is the inside, inside sales show. So it's always going to be about work. How you handle things in your environment, and in your situation, how you manage those around you who influence you has a direct impact on your success. So I'll give you an example. I remember one time going into a new job. And if you heard the story before, I apologize. I sometimes tell stories over again, as you know. I was young. And I was feeling pretty good. I, the life was going good. We'd moved back near family from being away for a long time. We had our first child, got a killer job at a killer high-tech company. It was still small with a big future, and I was the first head of marketing. Not a sales analogy, but this, it, hear me out. It works out the same. And uh, the boss who had hired me, basically after the, you know, the first day, just kind of abandoned me. And not that he was malicious and he wasn't being rude to me. a very nice guy. He just, he had other things to do. And I was just this token hire and he had to hire me because that's what you do. And he left me alone. And I stumbled for three months, desperately looking for feedback and guidance and direction and more and more and more getting frustrated with a lack of input, a lack of feedback with what I was doing. Never knowing if I was doing it right. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. Always worried you're doing it wrong because you're not getting feedback. So why don't they give you feedback Have they already written you off or have they have you misrepresented? Are they not happy? And, uh, and finally at a three month mark, I was ready to quit. And I remember at that point in time, we were doing an advertisement campaign and I, and I gave it to my boss. I said, you know, what do you think of this comp? And he he said, well, I'll, I'll get back to you tomorrow. So he comes back the next day. And he, he had said, he talked to his wife and his wife thought the color needed more purple. That was his feedback. I'm not making this up. And you know, it wasn't what was the message? What was the visual? What was the call to action? It was his wife, not him, thought need it needed more purple. And that's when I knew that this wasn't going to work out for me. Or if it was, that I needed to take charge because I had to eliminate the external factors that were threatening my success and just own it. And if I still got canned in the process, I knew head held high that I had done everything I could and I had done what I thought was right. That's a startup. Sales is no different. Imagine you're going into a company that's a fairly new company, high tech company, and you're their first sales hire. A lot of pressure on you from investors and the developers and the CEO, the founder, call it what you will. And you know, they're tech guys. They may know their product, they may know the space, but they don't necessarily know how to drive revenue. And you, you are the first person. What do you do? You don't have the same budget. You don't have the resources. There's no sales enablement training program in place. Content probably doesn't exist. How are you going to succeed as a sales professional in that environment? Because you want to, because it's sexy, because it's fun. It's an adventure. But you are on your own, just like I was at that high-tech company. And that's where my good friend Scott Birdie comes in. Scott Birdie is the chief growth officer at TrueFan. That's T-R-U-F-A-N. And it's a pretty cool startup. It's a platform that actually equips brands. So think of like major brands, you know, maybe it's Nike or Coca-Cola. Maybe it's championship winning Toronto Raptors. So lots of brands. It's a platform that equips brands with data, data that activates a grassroots community of micro-influencers, or a super fan. No, I'm Canadian. The, the Raptors just won this year the championship in the NBA. And there was one guy who was a super fan that everybody rallied around. He'd been there from the beginning. He was visible. Everybody knew him. they see him on the street. True Fan is all about finding more of those people to grow your brand. That's It's a pretty hot space, especially as you see the power of social media and everything else. As the society becomes more divided more partisan, that's what True Fan is. Scott was hired to make that company rock. And along the way, he's faced his own sales challenges. Scott, welcome to the
2: show. Thank you, Daryl. That was a nice, warm lead up. Do you have those introductory kind of like story sessions each show?
1: Try to have them uh, every five, six minutes. Uh, Some people wish I was a lot shorter. It's a good way to start the show because it lends itself to
2: giving people the inspiration to think about perspective, I think. The whole perspective aspect of whatever be, life, sales, work, you kind of talked about the two different silos. It plays a key role in the growth of anybody, I do believe, is the ability to kind of like look at different experiences, whether they're your own or whether they're executives like yourself, people that we look up to, mentors, public figures, just as perspective. They can Dramatically, I think, attribute to you kind know, of where your future goes, whether it be career or life oriented, and have a lot of impact on the results um, and success you may have over time as well. So, it made me think about a lot of things there. On the challenges side, it seems like the last several weeks I've been thinking about how I could have spent a little more time setting my fantasy lineup. And that little bit of time is resulting in some L's last <laughs> few weeks. So, trying to decide on how much more time I should ramp up on the fantasy efforts. <laughs> And then so too on the sales and work side, I I wanted to talk about one quick thing there is when I was working, probably the earliest form of sales I ever did more in a direct capacity is like actually direct sales or referred to as direct marketing, but selling items that people are coming into stores, not expecting to see. So basically just crap um, off the shelves. But um, when I was in that role, they did have a number of different marketing systems that they relied on. and, And then one of them, one of the things that factored into it was how you always want to leave life at the door or kind of personal stuff at the door. Because oftentimes I feel like one of the biggest negatives that can plague, whether it be salespeople or professionals, is their day-to-day life and their personal life that may kind of trickle in through the door with them to their desk and with them when they're on the phones and different things of that nature, which can ultimately have a very negative effect and really a negative effect on the surrounding employees, the culture, so they always kind of talked about leaving the personal stuff at the door. That's a skill that many don't have, actually, I've realized over the course of time. And kind of one of the reasons I feel blessed to work in a startup is two are often combined into one life and work in that stage. So you don't think about those things as much, but I think people are naturally driven more by the work than anything else. So that often is their life outside of work is more work. And in a corporate world, boy, you can really get caught up in that. So yeah, some
1: good some good thoughts. Well, let me ask you this. Let's start the stage. So for those who are listening who are at a startup or it is called an early stage company, even if it's not truly a startup, the team isn't big. Maybe they're the only ones, or maybe they have aspirations of joining a company like that. You've gone through that. So when you took on that role, I'm kind of curious, what were the expectations placed upon you? What did you walk into, if anything, with our systems or processes in our install base? And where did you start? It's a good question. It's probably a little bit different than
2: most people that may get hired into um, a startup to grow maybe their sales efforts or to lead their sales efforts and their sales team. I was more or less part of the founding team. As you know, I was kind of very active on LinkedIn. And through that, I ended up meeting Swish, who's who's the founder and CEO. We started talking about the idea a little bit back and forth. and, And then he was kind of committed to having me be a part of that project. And I'd committed myself to I'm really trying to own that project. Once we saw I to i there, helped create some of the initial content for the first website in December 2017. He brought in some of the other ears that he had been speaking with from around the world about that. And we started doing team calls after that, speaking a little to like the expectations that were placed upon me. And when we finally figured out the kind of core founding team, there wasn't really that much expectation. It was more so the expectation that we were all going to do the work that we saw needed to kind of push things, whether it be the next level or the next piece of content, whatever it may be, but ultimately just keep moving things forward. Or we kind of decided as my title as for the head of sales position. So somebody who would ultimately kind of lead our sales efforts, lead the growth of any sort of sales team. At that time as well, like even when I had a title, we had nothing to sell. So that also comes into play on like the type of expectations that can be set. A lot of my work kind of got spread across marketing, copywriting, content-related things, continued to be active on LinkedIn. I think that was inevitably an expectation at the start. Kind of the situation that I got into How it's grown since then is uh, certainly the expectations continue to grow and you kind of touched on it, whether it be internally or through the stakeholders that include advisors, investors, and even customers. But it's been an interesting path and I'm sure we can kind of dive deeper into it, but it's definitely different, I think, than most. And if people do get hired directly into a position when things are already off the ground and maybe those more traditional tech founders have already built the product, which wasn't really the case in our scenario, it can be a lot different. Those expectations could even be linked to like a three month trial term where, hey, if they're not really seeing the numbers that you'd expect by the end of that three months, uh, they could be at the door. So I guess I was (laughs) lucky in that position.
1: All right, so when we come back, quick little break. We're going to do a, a fast and furious round with Scott. We're going to talk about all the challenges he had to overcome, what he did and lessons learned. So you can apply those exact same tactics and not make the mistakes he did. Stay tuned. We're right back.
3: CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them. And they're only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is an engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more by ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that's optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com
1: All right, fast and furious. I got about four or five things I want to nail here before we run out of time. First off, company matures, you're trying to break into accounts to get revenue. Did you have existing tools, CRM, conversational analytics, uh, video, LinkedIn navigator, did you have any tools when you started? When we
2: started, I started out administering the freemium version of HubSpot. We did have the CRM getting buy-in across the organization was probably the most difficult challenge I had to face and that I continue to face. Just given the fact that we're still considerably smaller team, some of the responsibilities as it relates to sales do kind of leak into almost everyone's role to some capacity. And it's something that we're slowly trying to change. But getting that buy-in is absolutely critical for anybody out there who's kind of in that position of implementing those systems. And maybe getting that agreement first before you even start to implement something could be worth your while so you're not wasting time. They're ultimately affecting your own happiness um, and that time you're putting in. But yeah, we had that certainly that kind of links to the marketing automation system. We had a little bit of capabilities through there. When we passed the MVP, we actually were part of a little incubator. We had free office space through Hootsuite at that time. So HubSpot also has a startup program that any other person who's been in a startup that's gone through an accelerator or an incubator, pretty much anywhere globally can apply for. And so at the time when we kind of really turned the lights on and, and actively tried to start selling it, we did go through that program, which gave us 90% off their professional suites. So $1,600 worth of software for 160 bucks a month. That's an incredible savings. Uh, and then the follow-up two years, we're now on 75% off for the next two years. So that, that's a great deal that um, people out there should look into. On the note of other tools, I think it's mainly Slack. We've always had great use for communication and trying to segment that. Added video, uh, email so like using, in our case, we use we use a bit of Loom, uh, but we also use Dub as the other one. It's a cost-effective video calling platform, video email platform, similar to Vidyard. I know you guys use at Vanilla Soft, but um, yeah, those tools have been really helpful.
1: All right. So now you got your tech stack in place. So now you're equipped. Now you're trying to break into accounts and you're a startup. So really you guys have, a say, minimal existing brand. Your customer base is still small and emerging what challenges did you have breaking into those accounts and what did you do to overcome those challenges? So I think part of what we did initially
2: was try to validate the MVP as much as we could. It wasn't so much about how we could increase our revenues pretty substantially, like within the first few months of having an actual product, but it was really getting the feedback from the customers or the users. So pushing it out into kind of our warm network Um, and really seeing on a high level, you know, bigger brands, like what sort of connections that we already had would be intrigued with the platform and interested in potentially using it or adopting it internally and starting out with just having them test the platform and actually use it. There's a little bit of that on the other side of things, you know, we're looking at potential bigger accounts and uh, a little bit more strategically on if we were to spend our time uh, targeting few different clients, whatever, maybe a group of 10 to 20 to 30, what 10 to 30 clients or prospects would be worth our time exploring at that stage, like who we know would ultimately have alignment with the product and some synergies there. Uh, But even more so knowing it might be a little bit of a longer sales cycle, like making sure we are kind of supplementing that with a customer that was actually going to give us the type of revenue we were hoping for at the end of the day, which didn't always work, but definitely looking for some potential like larger customers and even more so in the sense of like partnerships, people who really wanted to support the growth of the product, not just buy it in a sense. So that was something that I looked for early on. I think the way we'd go about doing that for the most part was leveraging each other's relationships. Swish had a a number of connections on LinkedIn that we could kind of either go through for potential introductions or just looking out at warm connections that he would already have. Same thing with myself. And finding some of those early adopters at that point, I think is the biggest key. So the more you can kind of approach that in terms of like potential partnerships, I think rather than customers is a great idea. Uh, And then ultimately trying to build relationships with some of those other people who are more so testing the product over the course of time so that there does come a time where they feel enough confidence in you um, as a kind of partner and a vendor that it's a no brainer. They're more interested in buying the product rather
1: than you having to sell it to them. All right. So. What I'm hearing a lot from here is you relied heavily on social, uh, heavily on personal relationships, or even just based on reputation you knew of each other and you you thought highly of each other. And then part of your job really, wasn't just to be a sales development rep or an account executive, it was also to be a relationship manager to grow those into new opportunities. What tactics did not work? Did you try the phone? Did you try email? We've
2: done and continue to do a lot of both of those. I mean, I try to use the phone as much as I can. It's it's sometimes difficult when you do have a number of other relationships that you're you know kind of moving along the pipeline. Um, you're trying to fit in that time for prospecting. I do make times for it. Um, over the course of time, what we've done, especially since I hired our first business development manager going back to May, was we'd set aside a time like twice a month or so and just kind of call it a sales grind where everybody's in a room the entire day, whatever you get out for lunch or something like that, like go and take your resets. But um, for the most part, we're just in there kind of banging the phones, um, building out new prospect lists. And, um, you know, at, at some point in time, we also added Discover Org, So having that as a prospecting tool to kind of shorten the time that's needed to acquire those lists of buyers. Incredibly helpful. We haven't seen a tremendous return on that yet, I would say. The email side of things, we've done a little bit of outbound. We've seen some success come through that. Uh, We've had some leads like Groupon. Um, and some others come through those types of channels on outbound email campaigns and, and then just kind of coming back through either from a link through our website um, or one of the CTAs that were included in the emails. But one of the one or two of the things that I would encourage other people out there to think about, um, one of the things that we're going to be testing come 2020 is going to be some direct mail campaigning. So not initially for like cold, cold prospects, but thinking about it like After you've reached somebody, whether that be like through an email campaign that you're highly interested in actually getting in front of, or somebody that you've already given a demo to, they're maybe a little bit stagnant, they've gone back to like talk to a couple of other executives or senior leadership internally, and it seems to be kind of bottlenecking that deal. Like, how can you slowly push some of those through the funnel, finesse them through? We're going to try and use direct mail. It's something that I heard uh, has been working wonders for some B2B companies out there, accounting for like almost half of their deal flow. And and then another thing would be events. I think like the more you can leverage very cost effective events to get out there in front of a number of different people, but just have you there, you know, it would be three days in consistency or, or the one day of that event. Um, Even if you're just there as like somebody who's participating in the event and networking, it's just an amazing way to reach a lot of people in a short period of time. And it may not always come out of that with like a dozen leads, but even two highly qualified leads can be better than spending a full day on the phone. So
1: now so you finally get their attention no matter how you got it and now you're being considered at that consideration stage what have you learned as kind of a guerrilla startup you know sales growth officer to bring that deal across you know the finish line
2: probably the biggest lesson is unless you're in a situation where there's somebody on the other side that you know is highly committed to adopting the technology into either their uh, workflow or their employees workflow not giving them that tool for free um, with some sort of free trial. I know you've actually spoken about how you guys are kind of moving away from free trials a little bit or testing that. For us, it was just a major difference in the sense that we'd have so many nice potential buyers that are you know, supporting our product and kind of giving it some great feedback. But at the end of the day, were they really interested in buying it? You can get really stuck up at those points with a number of different buyers if you're not really clear about the expectation for you right as as the kind of supplier, as the technology vendor. And so we moved to more of a paid pilot style, kind of pushing them through the funnel towards the end if they weren't totally committed to more of a long-term deal off the bat. Um, And that helped to eliminate any of those people who at any point in time, they won't be signing some long-term contract because they were just not interested in actually buying the product. Maybe they didn't have the budget. um, Maybe they weren't the one who can sign off, but you know what I mean? It helps accelerate that deal. And then thinking about the actual pipeline more and more as we kind of move forward and trying to refine certain actions that need to be taken to move people through the pipeline and and things like that, like having certain qualifying questions that have been answered much earlier on or or making sure that certain people are part of the conversation much earlier on to prevent that bottlenecking um, towards the end of that pipeline. So I would say that's the biggest thing is really just trying to set the expectation that, you know, the, the product's going to cost something at the end of the day. It's great to have users, but um, we're a SaaS company, so we're not really looking for that consumer market. Um, and if you make it seem like people can start onboarding your products for next to nothing, that's what they're going to want
1: to do. Would you have had that attitude two years ago? Because you sounded like to me, you were like, you know, I'm worth this. If you're not ready to spend this, then no, thanks, but no thanks, I'm moving on. Would you have had that kind of mentality two years ago or have you developed that?
2: No, I think I've developed a lot of this mentality that I have now. It's really just about the experiences that I've gone through. Um, Being part of a startup from really like the very beginning to where we are now and still knowing that there's so much more progress to be made. You almost come out of um, it with like an MBA, um, specifically, you know, majoring in startups, I suppose. But there's just so much that you can learn when you're actually executing and kind of dealing with the, like you said, those ebbs and flows that happen so frequently together. Like there'd be months, um, over the course of the past year where for two, three months concurrently, like I'm closing deals left, right, and center. It it seems like no day can end on a bad note. Um, and then it'll be like, talk about days. Like these stretches could go on for days, weeks, months, even sometimes with last year where it's like, Oh my God, like last month I was absolutely killing it. I cannot seem to push somebody through to a close for the life of me this month. And it, and, you kind of look back, you evaluate um, what have I been doing potentially that I could be doing different, like other things on the product side that we still haven't been addressing that could be holding these deals up. There's a number of different places that you can go to not necessarily a lot blame, but trying to evaluate where you can tighten things up. Um, and, and I think that that's what I try to do now more than anything. And that's a, a, as a result of the mindset that I've kind of created for myself over the last year. So a lot of learning.
1: In one minute or less, for somebody who's in your shoes, now or is in your shoes uh, a year you know previous and in other words where they are now is where you were a year ago or 18 months ago you look back upon you what you've done chief growth officer coming in to an early stage company what one thing do you highly recommend they do and what mistake can they avoid if, if you're in the position where you're
2: managing a bit more of the process um, and not just some of the day to day on the sales side, I would definitely encourage you to make sure that anybody around you who is also helping with sales is buying into the process that you've created, which either links back to the CRM um, or any sort of admin dashboard that you may have built into the platform. But ultimately, a way of tracking all the different conversations through a pipeline and making sure that each call, like each activity metric is being tracked, because at the end of the day, it's so much easier to go back and try and figure out how you can improve, where you can improve when you have that data to report on. And it's going to be easier when your CEO is asking you why certain leaps and bounds haven't been made. And then I think if you're in the position where you're more so on the sales side directly, I think look at the tools that a lot of people aren't using. Sales Navigator on LinkedIn can be interesting, but I think LinkedIn as a platform just has a tremendous amount of white space still. And I would imagine if you compare yourself to 100 other reps in your same industry, potentially within the same type of product line, 90% of them, if not more, are not actively posting on LinkedIn. So that's one way you can differentiate yourself in a major way.
1: Love it. All right. So that was something different, folks. A little bit of a startup spirit. You know, because the challenges are different there than they are in a more mature company. You have less resources, less budget, less staff, and in some regards, almost more heat because it's do or die when you're in you're that young. My guest today, if you don't recall, Scott Birdie, Chief Growth Officer from TrueFan. Check him out. He is best reached on LinkedIn. Scott, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Thanks, Daryl. Appreciate you having me on, man. That, my friends, is another episode of Inside. Inside Sales. We hope you had fun today. I had a blast. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.
0: You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside Inside Sales, hosted by Daryl Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio channel, sponsored by VanillaSoft.